Good morning. Um, first off, I want to say thank you for your uh, kindness and your grace, uh, being gracious and generous towards me over the past couple of weeks. Um, as a person who is just, you know, uh, a young preacher, it's encouraging to have people to come and share kind words with you um, as I am learning and going through this process. So I really do appreciate it, guys. Um, Ephesians 9, oh, Ephesians 9, Isaiah 9, verses 6. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the usher will provide you with one. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, I thank you for allowing us all to see another day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May you be with us this morning as we explore the beauty of Christ being our king. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are at the end of the sermon series. We'll be wrapping up with Jesus as our king. First, we talked about Jesus, Jesus as our prophet, and we looked at three reasons why he's our prophet. The first reason is that Jesus was a human being, and we talked about how in order to it, it, it takes a human to fully reveal God in such a way that a human can understand. So in order for Jesus to be our greater prophet, he had to be human. The second thing that we talked about is that his words were God's words. So in the Old Testament, the prophets would start off whatever they're saying by saying, thus says the Lord, and then they'll say what they had to say. But when Jesus spoke, he said, truly, I say unto you, dot, 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 dot. So he didn't have to preface his statement with anything because his words were Christ's words, uh, were God's word. And we see later on in Hebrews where we saw that God has spoken, uh, spoken to us through prophets, but in the last days he's spoken to us through his son. And the last thing that we, um, last reason why Christ or Jesus is our prophet is because his words came to pass. So Jesus not only predicted his death, but his resurrection as well. And we looked at a false prophet in the book of Jeremiah by the name of Hananiah, who uh, prophesied falsely on behalf of God, and two months later, he was killed. Last week, we looked at Jesus as our high priest, and we said that he's our high priest first because he is sinless. So similar to the sacrifices that we saw in the sacrificial system, Jesus was, was without spot or blemish, so his sacrifice was acceptable to God. We talked about how Jesus' sacrifice was once sent for all, so there was going to be no—Jesus is not dying on the cross again uh, in the Old Testament, and up until Jesus came, the priest had to make uh, multiple sacrifices, but when Jesus became not only the subject but the object of sacrifice, God was pleased in that, and we see that when we look at the resurrection. And the last thing we talked about is that Jesus is our priest because he 
intercedes on our behalf. So right now, as I'm up here talking and running my mouth, Jesus is praying for you and representing you right now before the Father. So that song that we sing, Before the Throne of God Above, we have a a strong and perfect plea, uh, plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. So this week, we're going to be talking about Jesus as our king. So there's a, a common thread throughout, uh, throughout scriptures, and namely through these three offices as prophet, priest, and king. And the, the, the text that we looked at uh, for the prophet was Deuteronomy 18. And God told Israel that I'm going to raise up a prophet like Moses. So Israel held on to this promise, and they were looking forward to this prophet who would come, who would be like Moses, and we saw that it was Jesus and that he was actually greater than Moses. As far as the priest, priestly office, we see where uh, John, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away our sins. So we talked about, as a society, the weight that that had, to them, that weight that they, uh, that, that had on them was, uh, was, was a heavy weight because they understood uh, the, the concept of making sacrifices. And when they heard the Lamb of God, they understood, ah, this is the man who our parents and our ancestors have been telling us about the whole time. Well, it's with the same expectation that Isaiah writes the book of Isaiah. He was looking forward to a promise of God, specifically the promise that God made to David. And that promise was this. It can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. And he said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, he's talking to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, let me say this. David was a dope king, all right? He wasn't perfect. He had that whole thing with, with Bathsheba and had some more instances where he sinned. But David, overall, David was a, a good king. And we could, he's arguably and debatably, more than likely, the best king that Israel has ever seen. So imagine uh, everyone who came after David remembering this promise that God gave to David, that there is going to be a king who will come who is better than this person who we esteem. So think about it this way. Think about your favorite president. Don't say it out. Please don't say it out. <laughs> think about your favorite president and having the promise that, hey, there's going to be a person who will rule this nation better than this guy. All right? It's with that same expectation that the Israelites and that Isaiah had when he thought about Christ or thought about this coming king. Now, there's two things that I want to uh, point out about this covenant. The first thing is that it's a covenant of, of grace. That means that no matter what happens, God will do what he says that he will do. There is absolutely nothing 
that will stop or prevent God from bringing this king. So it was some covenants in the Bible to where uh, God said, hey, if you do this, I'll do this. This is not one of those things. This is God saying that, hey, I will raise up a king who is better than David, and he will be in your bloodline. Now, there's a, 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 a verse in that passage that says this. He shall build a house. I'm sorry. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of man. Now, I'm going to read, uh, be honest with you, when I read that, the first thing that I think about, because we're looking forward to Jesus being this king, right? And it says right here that I will correct him with the rod of men when he commits iniquity. So this means that either Jesus is a fraud or that the scriptures are lying, right? Right? All right. <laughs> but this scripture is indeed talking about a descendant of David, someone who came directly after him, his son, whose name was Solomon. <laughs> whose name was Solomon. Now, Solomon was a human being. Solomon sinned, and when Solomon sinned, God did correct him the same way that he corrects us when we sin. So that's the first thing that's taken care of. So he's talking about a direct descendant from David, his son Solomon, who he promised would be on the throne. The other trait of this passage is talking about the future king being eternal. So there's no way that Solomon can be eternal because he is a human being. He is under the curse that was given in Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis 3. So he is limited in what he could do because he is a finite human being. So because this throne will be eternal, he must be talking about Christ, must be talking about the God-man, the one who lives forever and who is not affected by death, and we see that through his resurrection. Matthew 1 maps, uh, maps out the genealogy of Jesus and shows how he is a descendant of David, and the whole shows his whole lineage tracking even back to Abraham. So this verse is consistent with talking about Christ being our king. Y'all rocking with me? All right. Now, keeping all that in mind, uh, let's, let's think about this. There are certain prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah who focused on what was going on during the present time, um, and, and, and that's what they wrote about, specifically things that were going on in the present time. Isaiah dealt more with what would happen in the future. He did talk about things that were going on currently, but he talked about what was happening in the future. He was kind of uh, 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 before his time. There's a, a sketch by a comedian named Dave Chappelle, and he's talking about um, uh, Tupac, all right? So, so pictures, they're, they're at a party, and the DJ says, and if you don't know uh, Tupac, he, like, dropped seven albums after he died, all right? <laughs> so they're, they're at a party, and he said, hey, this is the new, the new Tupac, and as they're at the party, in the song, he's saying stuff that's happening right there at the party, all right? So there's a, a girl with a stain on her shirt, and he says, hey, look at the girl with a stain on the shirt. And then uh, he, there's a guy by the, by the table who is 
um, hitting the table as the music is playing, and he says, hey, if you hit the table one more time, then the record's going to skip. He hits the table, the record skips, all right? So a lot of people say uh, he was making the sketch saying that he was before his time, and it's the same way that Isaiah wrote about Christ because he didn't get a chance to physically meet Jesus, but he spoke about him through his prophetic office. All right, so there's something to, to keep in mind about Isaiah. So in order, to stand, in order to understand the text, we have to understand what was going on at that time. Jerusalem and Judah are in trouble. The surrounding countries, um, the surrounding countries are, 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 are wanting to attack them, wanting to invade them, Israel and Assyria. And so God says that, hey, I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to let these people get to you. And they actually came up to, uh, the scripture says, the neck of Judah. They got close to them, but they didn't invade them. And Isaiah is telling them that, hey, the Lord will protect you. And Isaiah, being the person who is looking towards the future and who is looking for this coming king, says to us, a child is born and a son is given. Now, this kind of goes back to what we talked about the first week with Jesus having to be human. God didn't send a grown man down here to redeem us from our sins. He sent a child who was to fulfill scriptures and be born into the line of David. So he says that this, this child is going to be born. He's going to be nursed by a mother who, who cares about him. He's going to be taken care of by a family who uh, has his best interest in mind, and it says that he will govern. So he has been given authority. We read Matthew 28 earlier where Jesus says that all authority has been given to me. Everything. There is not anything that happens that's not under my authority. Now, there's a lot of evil that happens in the world now, but we have to trust the fact that Jesus is still in control of all of this. And we don't just sit back and let whatever happens. That's why we have missionaries like Jaden and uh, Maggie and Dan and Tambry and Ivan and different people who go to other countries to sh- try to share this good news, of gospel, uh, good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why we do the same thing that we do here. We do definitely believe that God is in control and that Jesus is in control, but we are doing what we can do to make disciples of all nations. Amen? And Isaiah says this, that he's a a wonderful counselor. That means that he makes wise plans. We make plans that fall apart, all right? But Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Even greater than the the wisest man in the Bible, which once again was. So when Solomon uh, made his first appearance as, as a wise man, there were two women who came to him with a baby, and I very seriously doubt that they had DNA testing at the time. And they said, they went to Solomon and said, hey, one of them said, this is my baby. The other woman said, no, that's my baby. So Solomon, in his wisdom, said, okay, I'll tell you what. Give me the child. Give me your child, Susanna. (laughs) But he says, give me your child. I'll cut him in half. And that way you both can have a piece of the baby. So the one lady said, okay, cool. I'm good with that. The other lady said, no, let her have the child. And through that, Solomon was able to say, no, that's the true mother who cares about her child. We serve a king who is even smarter than Solomon. So whereas we used to think that, hey, we sin when we kill somebody. Jesus comes to us and say, you know what? If you have an ungodly anger in your heart, you sin then. 
We sin when uh, we think we sin when we have sex. So we thinking that we're thinking this to the to, to the greatest extreme. And Jesus says, no, if you if you have lust in your heart, you committed adultery. He's not telling this to withhold anything good from us, but he's telling us this so that we may not fall into that snowball of sin. So he's saying this is the root of the issue is that you have lust in your heart. The root of the issue is that you have an ungodly anger in your heart. And once you have that, that's when it starts the snowball effect of sin. We have a wonderful counselor who is much wiser than we are. Amen? And he withholds nothing good from us. Scripture says that he is a a mighty God, and this term is used uh, to describe God throughout Scripture. After receiving the Ten Commandments, the Lord was referred to as a mighty God. When Israel repents for their sin in Nehemiah 9.32, they plead to their great, awesome, and mighty God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. And they pray that he remembers the hardship that they've gone through. So Jesus gets called this here so that, we could, uh, so that we're reminded of the God-man's nature. Yes, he is man, but he is God as well. There was nothing uh, about his deity that was stripped away from him when he came to earth. 100% man, 100% God, fully God, fully man, not 50% man and 50% God. No, he was fully both. That's why he's the mighty God, and he's the everlasting father. Now, this is not something to be confused with. Uh, when we talk about the, uh, the Father as the Trinity, right? So Jesus is not the Trinity. That's heretical. I'm not saying that. And if, if, if anybody ever tells you that, run, all right? That's not, that's not true. But Jesus does have a fatherly nature, right? So he acts as a, a good father, and good fathers share things with their children, children that are beneficial to them. Jesus gave us what? So that we may stand before the Father. He gave us his righteousness, He doesn't withhold anything that is good from us. He disciplines us when we're wrong. He corrects us when we're wrong. There is nothing that is more irritating and annoying than a father who does not correct his child. I'm in the store all the time and I see this and I'm like, like, (laughs) like, yo, get your child, like, correct your child. But Jesus is a, has the fatherly nature of correcting his children. In John 14, 18, he tells his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And he did. Oh, the beauty of a father who, who out of love, not from spoiling a child, but who out of love shows his child, hey, I am here for you. He didn't have to prove himself to Thomas when, when Thomas didn't believe it, it was him, but Jesus said, yo, let me, let me show you who I am. He doesn't do this just to uh, appease Thomas in his sense, but he says, hey, because I love you, I'm going to show you that it is me. That's the love of a father, and that's the love that our Savior King has. And he's the Prince of Peace. The gospel message is centered on peace, peace and reconciliation between us and God. Peace and reconciliation between one another and peace within ourselves. And the Prince of Peace will arrive and, according to Genesis, bruise the head of the Prince of Darkness, which is Satan. And his head will bruise the heels of the Prince of Peace. So Jesus, within himself, gives us peace. Now, Jesus also says that 
I'm not, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword and divide. And he's not saying that he is not uh, the God of peace or that he is, but he's simply saying the gospel that I have, the message that I have will completely divide households. That's why you have uh, different religions that grow up in the same house. But Jesus says, hey, at the same time, I give you peace. Peace, like Paul said, that surpasses all understanding. The type of peace that when you're going through a situation and everyone thinks and expects for you to act a certain kind of way, you have peace about the situation. And Jesus is the giver of peace. In verse 7, he says that this peace is forever. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And it sounds familiar. This is the same promise that he made to David. This is the man that God's people have been waiting for. Now, we're still in Isaiah at this point, right? So this hasn't happened yet. But when we go to Luke 1, 32 and 33, it's, uh, and this is the angel talking to Mary. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So God is saying, hey, I'm going to keep my covenant to my people. God is the covenant-keeping God, and he's reminding him, hey, I have not forgot about you, and I will send this man. And when we uh, flip over to the next chapter in chapter 2, we see uh, the awaited king's arrival. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, what does this mean for us? In, in, in Matthew, his account of the angel, his account of the story is uh, when the angel comes to Joseph and he says, hey, Joseph, I know that this woman is saying that she's pregnant, and I know that this is not your child. So naturally, Joseph is saying, eh, I want to divorce her because I don't want out of love for her because he's saying, I don't want to bring shame upon her. But the angel comes to Joseph and says, no, like this is something that God is doing. This is God keeping his, uh, his promise. The Holy Spirit uh, impregnated her. And he says this, Mary is going to have a baby and his name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Not he will try to save, not he will attempt to save, not that he will do all that he uh, can to save and if it doesn't happen, no. He will save his people from their sins. Random fact about trail. Through from high school, uh, middle school to high school, I learned how to play all the brass instruments, right? And so, <laughs> and so, we had, to, uh, we had to practice. So the, the, the band director would give us uh, 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 sheets that had our practice time on it. So we had to write them down. We had to do so many hours a week. So a lot of kids' parents, you know, they would just sign it and write it down. My moms didn't play that, all right? My mom, like me and my sister used to joke about my moms and say, hey, the Trinity used to be four people, but moms dropped off, all right? My, <laughs> my moms didn't play that at all. And my mama told me, you will practice this instrument. And so she would wake me up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and guess what I did? Right. Now, you doggone skipping. I'm going to play that. She said, you will do this, and I did do it. 
So when Jesus says that, or when the angel says that his name will be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sins, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is our Savior. Now, that's, that sounds absolutely good to a lot of us because there's a man who stepped in, who bared the, 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 the sins that we were supposed to bear and died the death that we were supposed to die and live the life that we were supposed to live. But let me ask you this. Is Jesus only your Savior and not your Lord and King? Because the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can't take what we like about Jesus and uh, disregard the other part. If you're married, you know this. Just look at me. Don't look at your spouse. All right? <laughs> you have to accept him or her for everything. When it comes to Jesus, we have to accept everything about him. We can't just hold on to the priest part of Jesus without accepting his kingly office. It's impossible. Jesus is our Savior and he's our Lord. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life now, today is a, it's always a perfect time to do that. Amen. And for those of you who have made him your Savior and disregarded him as your Lord, repent, get back on track. Jesus asked this question in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord? And do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So according to the text here and other texts that are similar to it, there will come times that will be trying in your life and they will uh, attack your faith. If your foundation is not built on solid ground, then that whatever you had going on is going to crumble. But if your house is built on a firm foundation, then you will stand. That's why we sing the song on Christ, the solid rock I stand, because all other ground is sinking sand. If you haven't made Jesus your king, follow him, love him, and keep his commandments. I'm going to um, submit, this, submit this thought to you. Y'all help me out. We have in, in the Western uh, tradition this understanding of the Christmas story. All right? So they come into Mary and Joseph. They come into Bethlehem. And there was, we, we understand it of saying that uh, there was no room in the end. Think about this. Bethlehem is also known as the city of David, all right? Joseph was, we will see that in Matthew 1, Joseph was a descendant of David. So when Joseph goes home, he's essentially like royalty in that family 
because they understand, hey, this is the city of David, so everyone who is in David's family is welcomed here. Now, it's pretty cruel in any society at any time to disregard a woman who is carrying a child, all right? So I submit this to you, and just roll with me, all right? That word that's used for in, in that scripture or in that verse, uh, Luke 2, 7, I believe, it's the same word that we see in John uh, chapter 12, where Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm sorry, Luke 22, when Jesus is going, uh, was telling his disciples to go to prepare a room for him so that they can have Passover. That's the same word that's used there. Now, Luke writes the account for the Good Samaritan. And you remember that story when he paid for the hotel or he paid for the inn. So Luke knows what an inn is, but he doesn't use that same word that he uses there. Work with me. <laughs> Houses during that time were typically built. They had, uh, they had one big room that was used as the family room. That was where everything happened. They, they cooked, they ate in there, they slept in there. And they had another room that was attached to it that was the guest room. And that, ge- and that guest room was exclusively used by the guests. So when in, in the scripture or our understanding of it, it says there was no room in the inn, that's the same word that is used for guest room. I said that to say this. I think it's highly unlikely that Joseph would go into a city where his descendants are uh, esteemed and not be able to get a room in a hotel. I believe that, that Jesus, uh, and, and in this big room, I'm sorry, in this big room, all the, they would bring all the animals in there at night to keep them from, uh, to, to give them warmth and also to protect them from either getting eaten by other animals or uh, from getting stolen. So if, if, if that's the case, if, if this is consistent, then that means it would make sense why Jesus was born in a manger or the feeding trough. So this is what I submit to you. I, I believe that God surrounded his son, which is our savior and our king, with family around what we understand to be the first Christmas. Now, this is, this is what, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas to be. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. I don't know many Christians who would down the hill of saying, Jesus was born on December 25th. Like, no, but that's what we celebrate it as. So this is, this is what I'm telling you. During this, this, this Christmas season, as we celebrate Jesus' birth, surround yourself around family. The same provisions that God made for his son to be surrounded around family because God understands the importance of family and he's always focused on family. And John, um, when, uh, when they told Jesus, hey, your mother and your, your brothers are waiting on you. And Jesus said, who, are my, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he said, those who do the will of my father, those are my brothers and sisters. So he wasn't putting down or or, uh, or, or talking bad about our physical family, but he was uplifting our spiritual family. And I say that to say this, if, if you don't have a physical family or if, if, if um, you're not close with your physical family, then the Lord has given you a spiritual family. And in your spiritual family, listen, we don't, we don't always get it right. We're not perfect. It's hard for us to, to, to jail with one another and hard for us to bond with, with one another. But hey, this is why God has given us 
each other so that, uh, that we may mature and that we can encourage one another as we go through this journey called life together. Amen? So this, 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 this holiday, this Christmas season, surround yourself around family and people who care about you. Figure out ways that you can encourage someone else and help other people. And don't isolate yourself because once you isolate yourself, you're on an island and you're vulnerable to all kind of attacks. I was talking to a good fr- friend of mine earlier this week, and I said, hey, either you're going to be vulnerable either way. Either you can be vulnerable on an island and sep- separate yourself from people, and you will be open to all kind of attacks of Satan, or you can be vulnerable with the family that God has put around you so that they can pour into you and so that they may build you. Amen? So let's keep this in mind as we go through the Christmas season. For unto us a child is born and a son is given. His name is Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins.